Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk with the music that makes your skin vibrate. And joining me live today is founding member of Canadian band Rio Statics. He's also a music and sports author, and now he's the editor-in-chief of uh, the Toronto community newspaper, brand new, West End Phoenix, Mr. Dave Bedini. Welcome Hello. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? That's good to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Steve Stanley said it was it was okay, so I came. <laughs> he was your guinea pig. <laughs> he said he said you should do it. It's like okay. I usually listen to him. Well, he's, he's a wise man. Yeah, apparently we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, Dave, uh, before we get into your songs, you, you you've got some great songs here. Great range of tunes. It's hard. It's hard to pick. It is. It's hard. Really to just, hard. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to pick just five. I think a couple of times I was like, had other lists all ready, emailed and ready to send to you, and then I thought I was just worrying about it way too much. Oh, but, people, yeah, yeah, because it could be ten, it could be you know five or ten different songs, you know, each day of the week, right? So, but anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, for those people who don't know, uh, you you're a founding member of Rio Sonics, but then you went on to write a book on a cold road, and there's an interesting story in that book about the fact that when you were younger in, I think it was 86, you wrote an article for Nerve magazine uh, about Stompin' Tom Connors. And it actually encouraged him to come out of retirement. Is that right? It's true. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah wow. It was, uh, we bro- we crashed his 50th birthday party, February of that year, February 86. Yeah. Found out, uh, I found out where he lived from the secretary who, uh, who worked at Boot Records, yeah. which was his record label, um, in Mississauga. And so I just hung out there. I, you know, harassed her <laughs> and we actually became kind of buddies. Cause I was, I was there to, wanting to talk to the person who ran Tom's label and was Tom's manager. And I was also there looking at, she would bring me archival stuff. And then she held up a letter addressed to Richard Hatfield, who was the premier of New Brunswick at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was inviting him to stop on Tom's 50th birthday party and had Tom's address on it. He'd been in hiding He'd been in exile for about a decade at that point. Yep. And so I wrote down the address. And she was showing me the address to tell me where he lived, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we pulled out of town that morning. And we drove me and two friends and, and showed up at this little community hall in Balnafad yeah. outside of Guelph. And he was there. And um, it was a beautiful experience. I mean, he was... He was kind of wary, I think, of us at the beginning because the manager, Yuri Kreidek, had told him that we were media, although we were hardly media, really, <laughs> a legitimate media. Anyways, yeah. we just told him we were there to, you know, um, tell him that, you know, kids really loved him still and we it was important for him to play. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that, so, and then I sent him the article and then, yeah, that's what sort of trigger, triggered his, re-engaged him really in a lot that's of ways. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was great. That's so awesome. I think in On a Cold Road, I tell the story about I gave him a cassette tape that uh, I thought was like an early Reostatic or was Reostatic's demo or Reostatic's music, but it was actually Patti Smith doing um, Hey Joe and Piss Factory. So I'm sure he listened to it and thought, what the hell? Or he didn't listen to it. I don't know. But he, and then he admitted, Tom admitted in his second book that he would come to see our shows in disguise. He would no come way. to the Bathurst Street Theater. Yeah. Dressed in a, <laughs> he'd wear a, he'd have a fake mustache no. and a broad hat and he would come and watch us. We didn't know he was there and had, the audience didn't know he was there because he would hilarious. come in disguise. Yeah. It's pretty bizarre. But, so, um, so you had a friendship with him. Though. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. For that's sure. hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. That's, is that in the book too? That's in his book. So he writes that. I didn't even know that. So when I read his book, I was like, what? That's yeah. Funny. So. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. There's some good, good stuff. And then when he died, I played his memorial at, um, at, uh, in Peterborough. Yeah. 
at the hockey rink there. And um, when I showed up for that, you know, one of the persons who was working there or somebody on, in the backing band said, Tom's here, you know, and I said, yeah, Tom's here in, in spirit. His soul is here. Mm-hmm. And he pointed at uh, the Zamboni Bay and said, no, Tom's here. And the hearse was pulling into the rink and they, um, you know, the the coffin rolled out and they rolled the coffin on stage. Oh, wow. So, and, you know, when, as b- before he died, his, one of his, you know, he arranged the whole, his whole memorial while he was on his deathbed. And he said, I want to be on stage when it's all happening. So wow. when they asked me to play, I was excited and nervous to play and honored. And I, but I was, you know, my anxiety was wrenched up when I saw that he was actually going to be on stage in his coffin of course. during the event. So it was amazing. It, but it was amazing. Wow. Like, of course, you'd That's want to incredible. be on stage and stuff yeah. too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of put a bow on it, you know, with the strange relationship and the strange connection we'd had with him yeah no yeah. kidding yeah wow. he was fantastic. like that though he was always he'd, he would always do things just a bit differently yeah yeah well i think that's his whole ethos right like he i was always fascinated with the fact that he could he could completely he just had a knack for capturing the essence of the places that he wrote about you know and he wasn't in rhyme too it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the sub- i'm from Sudbury. yeah he Sudbury does saturday yeah. night he nails yeah. it he does that yeah it's pretty good. Well, he he went to those places many times, and he yeah. you know it was in his blood. Yeah, yeah, for him for sure. Yeah. Wow, well, you've got a you've got a, a Stomp and Tom song uh, down the list here that hopefully we get to today, and if not, then we'll get to it on uh, a, a subsequent episode. Okay, let's get to your tunes then. Okay, so your first one is by Queen, and it's called "Love of My Life." So I always thought this song is from Night of the Night of the Opera, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, it's almost like because Bohemian Rhapsody is from that yep. record too, so it's almost like the subtler sister of Bohemian Rhapsody, just with the piano. I think it, pre- I think it precedes Bohemian Rhapsody. It? it does, yeah. Okay, it's the second last song, the penultimate sense. song. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I love that record. I didn't really know that I loved that record until we were driving back from a call the office mm-hmm. one night, and Don Kerr, the drummer, setting in a. I have a cassette tape of the greatest album of the 1970s. And we were like, what could, you know, we thought it would be some obscure record. What could could it possibly be? And he put it on and it was Night at the Opera. And, you know, you have that, you know, two and a half, three hour drive home. And we listened to it twice and I really heard it like I'd never heard it before. And I think, you know, I, uh, um, it had been years before since I'd listened to that record. And even when it had come out, I hadn't probably hadn't listened to it because it came out at a time when I wasn't really, you know, all that ge- generation of bands had sort of faded for me. And I was into, you know, more DIY punk and new wave bands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Queen were a stadium band, so why would I possibly be interested in them? Yeah. Um, and also, too, uh, you know, I figured it was the kind of bloated overproduced like it was you know the i think when it was recorded it set a record for the most expensive record it was yeah. they took you know months to record it and countless overdubs but that's 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 the art of the work yeah. and i was prejudiced against it when it came out so listen to it again you know i was drawn back into it you know, there's humor on the record um you know there's deep uh you know there's obviously it's wildly ex- uh, original if nothing else. Yeah. Um, very sad. It's deeply sad too. And, and fierce as well. So it really touches all those things that you want in music and which you love that you love in a record. And, um, I played this song. I did a songwriting course at Colorado college. I taught a course, Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, look, that's my phone. Wow, <laughs> who's, Halen, who's the amateur? 
you mind if I turn it off? <laughs> I'm of course, so sorry. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yes, jump is my ringtone. Jump is my jam, man. There you go. I wonder if I'm going to have to pay Van Halen for that now. <laughs> so I played that record uh, for these songwriting students yeah. at Colorado College. I, pl- I played this song, and uh, they didn't have any reference for Queen whatsoever. Like They didn't really know anything about the band. You could just see them get re- get drawn in by the composition of the piece and the... Freddie Mercury has such a beautiful, he's an underrated piano player, has such a beautiful light touch. And, um, you know, Brian May's playing his orchestral cello, mm-hmm. you know, viola, viola's on the on his fretboard and the guitar that his dad built f- with him. Yeah. So it's gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. piece of work. Always had a great guitar sound. Sure did, I read yeah. somewhere that he used to play with a Spanish coin. Yeah, I think it was a half penny, maybe, but okay. maybe it was Spanish. It was some. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if it's. I don't true. know. I, yeah, I don't, well, I think he did in the. I think he did to. I think maybe did on one record to get a certain tone. Yeah, but his. Um, yeah, not you know, not not a lot of effects. You know, kind yeah. of just fuzz and then rolling off the tone, playing with the tone knob. You yeah. know, and uh, yeah. And in her fingers too. Distinct, powerful tone. He totally. always had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Great pick. Thanks. Your next one is good too. I love it. Small faces and afterglow. Great oh song. yeah, yeah. Steve Marriott. Yeah, I like, yeah. It's just, I just the small faces. I discovered them late. Um, you know, they're just kind of a. There's so many British, great British bands of that era. Yeah. And um, that's uh, afterglow is like a. It's interesting, like, you know, because there was, like, a lot of pop, it's not really a pop song. It's really is, isn't a pop song. It's kind of a, this kind of, uh, it's this bloated, like a, a Baroque, yeah, you know, epic. Um, it's got the sound, production-wise, it's the sound of a very large, like a very large sound in a very small Ves- ve- vessel mm-hmm. it's like you can see the seams kind of you can hear the seams bursting yeah and um and just great steve marriott vocal right yeah, definitely the vocal where one of the key alternates singing between a cockney accent in and in really a more kind of universal accent here he's a bit more torchy and less kind of cockney but it's yeah. but still really good and um kenny jones on drums and ronnie lane on bass yes. pretty amazing rhythm section yeah um yeah, it's just a, it's a really, and, and it tra- the the song really travels to interesting places over the course of three and a half minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, yeah, I just love the feel of it. And I love, it's there's that excitement to it. Like it's, a, it, the the band sounds excited and it sounds too like playing wise and even songwriting wise, they're writing and performing beyond their limits Mm -hmm. but they're just they're just hanging on yeah that's an exciting that's that's a different different kind of excitement you get from it definitely were you a faces fan at all uh not so much i mean yeah i like them i you know i had a prejudice against rod stewart too for many years as well until i rediscovered his records and found out how amazing they are yeah but um now i kind of go back more to the small faces than the faces yeah even though same members and I like those sure. old records. What did they do? Four of them, I think. The last two are probably the best ones. Right. I think. 
Yeah, I'm a fan. In the rhythm section, like you said, you know, it's, yeah. it's fantastic playing. Totally. And I like the loose kind of, yeah. the, the organic kind of rawness of them. Oh yeah, there's not uh, there's not a lot of stop tape in this re- these recordings, right? They yeah. would have done them. They would have made these records in five to ten days. Oh yeah. You know, Dave Edmonds tells a story about going in, this, in the studio for the first time when he with his teenage band and setting up and playing the song once, and then packing up their gear and going home because they didn't know you could record it a bunch of times. Oh, Nobody really? told them. So they just like did just, it, and then it was one over. One take down without mistakes, oh, so that was it. There might even have been mistakes. They just thought, when you go and rent studio time, you get a chance to do your song, and then that's it. Unbelievable. So, yeah, so yeah. this era wasn't too far from that. But I kind of like that, you know, because I've always believed that, you know, leaving the mistakes in kind of adds a legitimacy to it, you know? Yeah. So I, I like it, you know. Yeah. Yes be, and, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Yeah, what, depending right. on the gravity, you know, how big sure. the mistake is. Totally, course, totally. Yeah. How did the Rheostatics records get made? Was it the same? There are a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Mistake laden. Um, but was it, what, what was, was the approach the same? Was it just, because that was what we're, what we're talking like, you know, late 80s, early 90s. You guys formed in 80s. I think our first record, well, our first, like, album was recorded in 1980. Eight, six, no, for, uh, yeah, because our, our first record came out in 1987, so we would have recorded in 1986. Yeah, yeah. So things are a little bit more glossy, just in terms of you know going in and recording records. And there's probably, I mean, you, they weren't digitized yet. But right. There's probably a, you know, it wasn't just quick and dirty. Let's yeah. Take we recorded step. a single in 1980, and that was that was pretty that was pretty Spartan that whole whole deal. But um, yeah, we were. I think we've mostly been recorded in nice studios, which is kind of great. Yeah. Did you guys do it in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. Every every album was recorded in Toronto, except Introducing Happiness was recorded in the Bahamas and in uh, Hamilton. Awesome. Yeah. Bahamas. Sister cities, uh, Nassau and Hamilton. They're not yeah. at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, we ended up doing our overdubs at Grand Avenue, and we did our our uh, our bed tracks and 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 a bunch of performances too at Compass Point in Nassau. Compass Point. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. It was very nice. Yeah, I bet. It was amazing. Well, right around that same time that uh, Iron Maiden actually recorded their records. Yeah, I think when we were, we left, as we were arriving, John Bon Jovi, or Bon Jovi was leaving. Yeah. And as we were leaving, Jimmy Buffett was arriving. Oh, really? So yeah, with a... 40 of his friends <laughs> and his band to make a right, just this massive entourage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. It would have been, you know, Talking Heads, B-52s, Rolling Stones, ACDC, everybody. Oh, this was a popular there. spot. It was, yeah, it was Island Records. It was Chris Blackwell's studio. So, oh, wow. Terry Manning, who who engineered all the ZZ Top records, was one of the engineers. And, um, oh, yeah, you'd, you know, the, you'd, the, the equipment they had was extraordinary. They had, you know, I think I used Jimmy Page's um, Dan Electro amp that he recorded uh, Zeppelin II. Wow. Recorded on, used on Zeppelin II. And then... We were in the, the Studio B one day, and Robert Palmer was recording a Devo song. They were mixing it. Um, you know, there were Grace Jones tapes and Eric Clapton outtakes in the closet, basically. Like, and we asked the Bob Marley had recorded there, famously, and we asked where the where he had sung Redemption song. Yeah, and so we set our our vocal booth right where he, you know, completely audacious uh place <laughs> yeah. to put it but it ended up working out well and 
there was Ozzy was the assistant engineer and we'd be doing vocal takes sometimes and he'd be he'd get the talk back and he would shout and say into the talk whisper in the talk back Bob's listening to you and stuff <laughs> That's so great. but it was good vibes and then the ocean was right oh yeah right at the bottom and David Bowie and Paul McCartney had apartments at the bottom of the drive and it was really wow. pretty neat you know and we recorded 21 songs in 12 days so we were like when we went there we we knew we on it. We we knew we couldn't suck. Right? Yeah, you knocked it out because we had to uh, be good because the the ghosts were listening and That's right. to say nothing of just like all the pros that were there and doing their thing. So yeah, yeah, amazing experience. That, really that, great. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, your next song, sir, is uh, by Bikini Kill, and it's New Radio. Yeah, it's a great forty-five. Yeah, uh, Kathleen Hanna, just a great band. Um, it's, an, it's such an angry, an angry, beautiful sound of this record. Like people go, should go listen to it, and like right now, it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's an extraordinary. It's just you know, it's two two minutes, ten seconds. Um, yeah, it's a riot short girl, right? So lo- that song launched a movement, and um, it uh, it gets you every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree. You've also got uh, Propagandi on here. And they're a Canadian band, I think, right? Call they are from Winnipeg, yeah. Call Before You Dig. Yeah, the it's their new record, Victory Lap. Yeah. Um, which is uh, a beautiful record. Uh, yeah, great. You know, they've, hung, they've hung in there for, you know, almost as long as we have. Um, and just continue to get better and better. And, you know, they're a devoted band. They love what they do. They work really hard. They try really hard. Yeah. And I think that that work ethic, that devotion has resulted in just better and better records. And this is an amazing album. This is a great song too. And yeah, um, they're a great Canadian band but that don't get mentioned enough. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that, the Pantheon, um, and they deserve to be there. It's an amazing record. Yeah, I don't I think. think a lot of people know about them. Got, you know, I think that they're a bit of a punk band, but they, they've got a metal sound. Yeah, sure. It's they they don't they don't. I mean, their sound is is their own. It's not it's not really easy, easily definable. So easily boxed. But um, it's just nice to see a band that has been around for a long time just be better than they've ever been because they've been around for a long time, right? Yeah. It's not a greatest hits outfit there uh they work you know they really work at it and the songwriting's become so interesting and complex and charming in a way yeah um and e- just e- easy to fall into um and yeah they're just i think they're the among the great bands working today yeah for sure and a classic next by dusty springfield you've got you don't have to say you love me yeah great pick yeah, it's a great record, and she, uh, you know, she lived in Toronto for many years. She was dating Carol Pope. They lived in Cabbage Town. Did she? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's she. Yeah, she was like Toronto. early eighties, late seventies. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. For sure, she was here hanging out. I had no idea. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's such an emotional take. Her uh, her vocal is just a Hall of Fame vocal, you know, and singing to such an enormous band, you know, with strings and horns and a real classic kind of you know british um anthemic like a james bond-esque kind of yeah sound um which i'm not even sure how you define that but um it's not pop music the, you know the brits were so good at pop music but this is kind of more 
like kind of a previous generation of pop, you know, or orchestral pop. Yeah. And um, to be able to deliver over that or within that so effortlessly is an incredible, incredible feat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a reliable re- record that is always sounds good no matter when you listen to it. Yeah, that's a great tune. Most people know her, I think, for um, Son of a Preacher Man. But um, Memphis, yeah. Yeah. She... Um, I got a jukebox three years ago, four years ago, when I turned 50. And that, that was neat. I had a, developed sort of a new appreciation for songs, really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're getting records for your jukebox, you're inevitably, you know, so many records are produced in the 50s and 60s. There's a lot of them around, right? So you just yes. kind of just buy whatever. Yeah. And they're all a buck. So you just buy them. And then, and certain songs back then were mixed for jukeboxes. And this is kind of one of them, I think. Yeah. Um, it sounds so beautiful. Um, it's one of the great jukebox records and it's never leaves my jukebox. It's always there. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's loud. It's mixed really loud. Too. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. mastered loud. Yeah. Um, and it's mighty. Yeah. It's a li- pretty liberating piece of music. I yeah. think in a lot of ways. So, oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Cool that you have a jukebox. It's awesome. Yeah. It's fun. I love it. It's great. That. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. They're beautiful things. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you so do you, do you do you load it with new yeah, stuff? Yeah, you swap them in and out and stuff. Yeah. And I do like theme. I'll friends over where I'll do like, I'll send an email out like I'll do you know like all Canadian jukebox for Canada Day, and I'll do all new wave or all country or That's so all great. soul. And it's that's part. Of, it's actually labor intensive, right? Cause you oh, gotta for sure. Swap in and out, and you've got to load sixty. Mine takes sixty, and then you've got to print up new labels and put them in. But I don't know. It's kind oh, of fun you do doing that, that too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's like a program, a software where you can just print them out, and then so you type in the the name of the record, and then they'll they'll print them on the on Parents. the labels, and then you cut them up, and you slide them into the slots, and then you have to yeah. So then you swap out sixty records and fit them in, and that is so yeah. Cool. And then you go to town, um, and it's cool, you know. And there are A sides and B sides too, so when you come across a record that has a really great B-side, it's yeah, total bonus, right? For sure. But but you also discover B-sides too. Yeah. You, songs that you didn't know existed through that. There's a lot of great B-sides. There can be, for sure. Yeah. A yeah. lot of unusual B-sides, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, do- like a double a double, double A-side effectively is a is a blessing for somebody who has a jukebox, for sure. Yeah. Because you get both sides deliver. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Like, that adds a whole new spin to the concept of a playlist. Right, using that yeah, for sure. <laughs> totally, so, you know, doing it for themes and stuff. That's so great. Definitely, and it's, the playlist is in, in terms of like, uh, you know, like uh, there's rows of so the, the the grid on the face of the jukebox is rows of ten, mm-hmm. and inevitably the songs that get chosen the most are the ones at the top of the grid yep. because just the, the eye doesn't travel down. Yeah. So in a way, you kind of you program so that stuff that's a little bit, you know. You can get stuff. You, you realize when you program stuff along the bottom yeah. of the grid, you know you'll you're going to lose some records. People aren't going to be bothered to like, well, I got to look all the way down there at yeah. a thing. So <laughs> it's a whole other different way of doing it for sure. That's so cool, but it's fun. It's totally fun. I bet I love it. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well that is the uh, end of your list, sir. Uh, I know that you have a cold, so I appreciate you coming down today. Thank you very much for taking the time. Okay. No problem. And, uh, yeah, it was a great chat. Thanks very much. So, uh, what is on the horizon for uh, Dave Bedini other than uh, West End Phoenix? The horizon. Uh, well, really kind of that, I think. Yeah. I have a book coming out next fall ah. as well. 
Great. about Yellowknife. Um, well, I spent better part of a year up there. Yeah. Um, so that's happening. And uh, we're working on a record too, a new record, a bunch Rios? of new songs. Yeah, that's try to awesome. do some recording this summer. So that'd be good. Great. Um, yeah, that's kind of, and really the paper is pretty much it. All of my days are spent yeah. Yeah. putting together and stuff too. So yeah, that's my... West End Phoenix. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you coming in. My pleasure. All right. Okay, this is uh, No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brian Jensen and my special guest, Mr. Dave Bedini. Until next time, take good care, folks. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>